The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. A happy Thanksgiving week to all of you. I'm sure we have plenty of listeners in commute to their final destination for Thursday's festivities. We are here with you on a Tuesday afternoon. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue, fresh out of James Franklin's weekly uh, game press conference. And this is the last week of it until we get to to some bowl conversation. But uh, Sean, we'll get to a few player items that come away. But you had a chance to catch up with Brian Doan. We'll get to that in a moment. And uh, pretty bleak outlook right now for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. I think our listeners know full well that I am an alumni with personal connections to that program that uh, are not so personal these days. But my old boss, Greg Schiano, apparently if he's coming back to college football, it will not be back in Piscataway. Um, that coming uh, via some reporting on Sunday. And Brian Doan has been all over this thing. So he'll give us some uh, insight on these Scarlet Knights, what Penn State's facing, and also... Uh, in general, some of the fallout from that situation. So an interesting conversation that veers a little off course from our normal path. Oh, it's very off course, (laughs) and it's fantastic. And if you're a Penn State fan um, and you're watching this tire fire happen from afar, you're going to like it. Uh, Doan's Doan's very close to that, and he's got some opinions, and they're they're fun to hear. You, of course, have to check your scarlet helmet at the door, and we got to talk a little bit more about that. But first, I want to jump into Ohio State, close the door on that. Of course, Penn State coming up short in Columbus. If you listen to the post-game podcast, uh, we covered that quite a bit. But, you know, it's just really watching the film came down to just a couple little things. And, And we said all week last week, Penn State has to make the plays, not just the big, big plays, not not just K.J. Hamler going 90 yards like he did last season against uh, Ohio State. It's it's making the plays to get to the other plays. So it's talking about, you know, third down stops, just letting Justin Fields get away. Obviously, the fourth down stop was a big one. I mean, John Reed catching a pick. So things like that. And Penn State just consistently came up short. Now, they came around in the second half. Of course, they were down 21 nothing uh, after the first drive in the third quarter. But they came in the second half. They started making those plays. And then they kind of take a step back. So, so what do you take out of this? I mean, it, it, resiliency is great. It, it was fantastic to watch Penn State, you know, not get blown out. I mean, that's what a lot of people, including us, thought could happen. It could be a, a roller coaster type game. What do you? I mean, the, the defense forces some turnovers. Boom! There's your big plays. Um, you just need something on offense. I'm not sure what that is. And after watching that again, I'm still not sure what that is. I do know Penn State's running game is actually okay. I, I do like where Penn State is right now. I think Journey Brown's playing really good football. I think the offensive line is better than people will give it credit for. You know, granted, when you put Will Fries on an island against Chase Young, you're going to lose that battle, and they certainly did. But the offensive line has done okay. Uh, the running game is is fine. The the passing game is is really killing them right now. And and is that on you know the coordinator? Is that on the play calling? Is that on the quarterbacks? You know, I think there's certainly sprinkling that everywhere around. You can find some blame for everyone, but something needs fixing that passing game. Um, you know, defensively, you woke up a little bit. You got back on track to where they were. I thought they played fantastic uh, for stretches of that game. Um, Ohio State just a little too much firepower. So. 
there's certainly some positives coming out of this game. And I know a lot of people are sort of gutted. I know uh, an 11-point loss, you know, going into it. It's, it's like we said, we're moving the chains here. Going into it, you give it an 11-point loss, you think, okay, that's not too bad. But after the way it played out, you're certainly disappointed, and rightfully so. So I think I think there's positives to take out of this if you're Penn State. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot to like coming out of it. But you got to find those big plays. That's the difference between a playoff team and where Penn State is right now is those big those small and big plays that are just sort of pivotal in, in trying to get where you're where you need to get and right now Penn State just not there on offense you pointing to the passing attack uh, in a few minutes you and I will address some uh, some very notable developments in that regard and potentially roster altering developments uh, I know listeners are probably wondering if we're fully caught up on some of these situations uh, got some notes on a wide receiver of note and of course John Clifford coming up in a moment but yeah you look at the Buckeyes game you know James Franklin was asked about the the moral victory because I know a lot of people wanted to kind of wrap their arm around that a little bit after the Ohio State game now he says there's no moral victories he feels that Penn State has played Ohio State as well as any team in the country but not well enough uh, and he says there's no moral victories, but there are positives. Uh, I think you like the way the defense responded. There were some serious backbreaking plays uh, on third down uh, with Justin Fields on fourth down as well. And we discussed that after the after the uh, game on Saturday in Ohio Stadium. But I think ultimately, you know, for, from the defense, the way it started, where it looked like they could have easily given up touchdown drives on on four possessions in the first half, it was restricted to 14 because they had some timely defensive plays. And then I think in the second half, uh, for the most part, they. Continuously gave Penn State even into the fourth quarter. They gave uh, you know, the Nittany Lions, whether it was Sean Clifford, Will Levis, opportunities to, to continue to dig out of that hole. Uh, so I, I do think that the defense responded in, in, in a way you'd like to see. Um, but but overall, and again, we talked about it. The way Ohio State has recruited for you know the last seven eight years versus the way Penn State has recruited for the last two or three years, they're still catching up to do. And 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 in, you, want, you want to talk about the passing game in general. Much like Minnesota a few weeks ago, Ohio State has weapons they can utilize across the field where with Penn State, very often, unfortunately, it, it has been a trend with them where if Pat Fryermuth is not the guy engaged and if K.J. Hamler isn't able to find himself in space, they have a very difficult time of generating much downfield. No doubt. And that's something that needs to be addressed at some point. I'm not sure. You know, it, it, this week, you can, it's kind of a wash. I mean, I say no disrespect to Rutgers, but they're gonna, they're gonna blow, they should blow them out of the water as everybody else has done. And Rutgers is a mess right now. But you want to see some things moving. You want to see the ball get down the field. I mean, it's essentially you want to see a lot of guys in the game. Um, we were gonna see Sean Clifford and Will Levis anyway. Of course, Clifford got hurt against Ohio State. Game time decision is what James Franklin had to say on Tuesday. Um, so maybe you see a little bit more of Levis. Maybe this is the time to say, hey, Sean, you've been banged up for a while. Just take a back seat. We'll see what we got with Will Levis. I'd like to see what they have with Will Levis. He showed some good things. He also showed some some very rookie uh, moments. So I'm curious to see how he responds if he is given the, the, the reins. That's something we probably won't find out. Uh, I don't know if we'll find that out on a Wednesday night or if that's possibly a Saturday situation. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it'll be good to, to to expand our view on quarterback and see what Penn State has going into spring. Clifford has been good this year, um, but he's also come up short. I mean, the, the the difference in that game on Saturday was quarterback play, and, and Justin Fields is an elite quarterback. Sean Clifford uh, and Will Levis, not right now. So 
um, that's uh, that that says something about where you where you want this program to be. You're going to go as far as Sean Clifford or Will Will Levis is going to take you. But right now, that ceiling is is not as high as it uh, as you see in some of the opposition that they've faced. Yeah, Sean Clifford on the season completing about sixty percent of his passes, but that's taken a dive since the second bye week. He's at about fifty three percent completion rate over the last three games. Part of that is you played two unbeaten teams. That is part of the story. And part of it, according to James Franklin, is this is a lingering issue. We know that that Clifford came up, hobbled against Minnesota in the second half of that game. It looked like it could have been serious. He returned to action, tried to lead a comeback toward the end of Minneapolis. Indiana, he had that 38-yard touchdown run. The wheels looked pretty good in that contest, but he was below 50% as a passer. And then last week, you know, Ohio State's obviously got one of the top-ranked defenses in the country in just about every category. Uh, But Clifford, zero rushing yards into the third quarter. That's pretty uncharacteristic. He has five games at this point where he's gone over 50 rushing yards in those contests. So definitely curious to see how much a medical setback has inhibited his development, his ability to make plays. Uh, And then intrigued like everyone else about Will Levis. He's a guy that we've spoken about very highly uh, over the course of of the summer when when Tommy Stevens left and he was thrust into a bigger spotlight. And, you know, the way this kid is physically developed, and and I've said since really last spring that he probably is the most physically intimidating player you'll find in that backfield regardless of position. You know, right now, though, you you do wonder about his ability to, to make uh, choices when, when the uh, when you know when the stove's hot, but yeah, how hot is it going to get against the Rutgers team that that has really just you know they've lost every Big Ten game by at least twenty seven points. So yeah, great experience for Will Levis on the road, and, and and James Franklin says he texted Will and really just wanted to reiterate to him after that game that he thought it was pretty tremendous what he was able to go in and do. Major major assist from the Penn State defense forcing Buckeyes turnovers on back to back possessions, but. It posted 17 uh, points in, in a matter of, what, four and a half minutes, and all of a sudden the complexion of, of the game was changed. You thought maybe Penn State uh, was knocking on the door of something special. His interception early in the fourth quarter kind of helped put a punctuation mark toward the end of it. But, yeah, very clearly both of these guys were involved in the in the job for the, the race for the job in the summer. It was a situation where they wanted to see what Will Levis could do in that competition. And another thing I brought up, Sean, because, look, I, I don't know how it's going to turn out on Saturday, but let's say Will Levis is your starter. How long do you leave him if you're able to go run away from this game? We have not seen uh, either of the true freshmen, uh, Michael Johnson Jr. or Taquan Roberson, in-game action this year. Each of them have traveled extensively. Last week, Roberson was on the sideline, maybe one play away from entering the game in Columbus. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how those two battle it out, compete for an opportunity. And then, obviously, you throw in the fact they do have a senior quarterback, Michael Schu. It is senior day. Would love to get him involved. I'm sure the staff would, but uh, this may be where you see one of those true freshmen. If Clifford is not available, uh, you know, get an opportunity to get some eyes on those guys taking some live bullets. Yeah, Schuster got the uh, garbage time against Idaho, so I expect to see him out there at some point uh, if the game flow goes as it we expect that it will. Um, but yeah, you make a good point about Johnson and Roberson. I think you get them maybe a series each and see what you can get out of them. Uh, maybe just run your typical offense, see what happens. Of course, that that's depending on Clifford playing. You know, if, if it's me, you know, if Clifford is close to that line, no reason to, to throw him out there. But uh, yeah, I think you can get a little bit out of uh, all those guys. And, and that freshman class, I mean, you want to see Hakeem Beeman out there. You want to see maybe Smith Vilbert on the defensive line. Um, maybe play Lance Dixon a little bit bit he's got one game left Caden Wallace has one game left uh you know you talk about saving the bowl game but for some of those guys it really doesn't make a ton of sense like Wallace um 
so I, I'm interested to see some of those guys. Maybe see uh, our, our first uh, appearance of Joseph Darkwa, who we've seen on the on the practice field, and he's just a, a monstrous individual, but obviously a little behind in terms of football. So I think you're going to see a lot of those guys. Um, nobody really, I think in I, I think Dixon and maybe Porter are the or Dixon Porter and Wallace would be the ones that would get that fourth game. Nobody really in danger of losing the red shirt. So interested to see how many of those guys get some time. Um, you've got an opportunity to, to do so. And I think when the schedule comes out, this is one of those games you circle saying, Hey, this is when we can get our freshmen in. Well, about this time last year, Sean, we were talking about the, the freshmen who still had games to play with, guys getting work. Justin Shoulder was one of those. He got featured a bit more prominently towards the end of last year, played against Rutgers in the bowl game. This was anticipated as a year where he could be a breakout player. He said himself during the summer he wanted to be the conference's freshman of the year as a redshirt freshman. Uh, tied a career high against Ohio State with three receptions on Saturday, but news surfacing confirmed by 24-7 Sports uh, today on Tuesday afternoon that Justin Shorter has entered his name into the NCAA transfer portal. A bit of a strange situation as we're all getting this uh, report with James Franklin in front of us during the press conference. Uh, someone asked the question with the final question of the press conference, and, and Franklin you know, wasn't really ready to go down that road in terms of details. He said they were still seeing where, the th- where things were at, but he did say it was a conversation, and it sounded like he was pretty much just coming in from that conversation with Justin Shorter. So, uh, obviously, we'll have eyes on the situation at practice on Wednesday, but again, we are talking about a former five-star, the number one wide receiver uh, per 24-7 sports composite rankings heading into Penn State. It has not materialized that way, but uh, this would obviously be a significant blow to to development with a 2018 recruiting class and you know a wide receiver room where they're still searching for answers. Yeah, based on timing, that's a stunner right there. I mean, you would think that, you know, after the season, maybe evaluate where you're at, but to, to, to come in before the last game, put your name in the portal, I mean, that's uh, that's a pretty strong indication that he's, he's not too comfortable. Now, on the field, he, he hasn't looked tremendously comfortable. Uh, he, he hasn't been targeted all that much. I think he's, what, 12 catches this year after th- having three against Ohio State. Actually looked fine against Ohio State. Court had the, the bad game against Minnesota, but... He just uh, hasn't stepped up uh, to the expect the level of expectation. I guess that maybe we put on him as as a highly uh, you know as a five star, highly recruited guy, a guy that uh, you know everybody seemed to think had all the tools, and I do think he still has all the tools. I mean, he's a tremendously talented kid. Uh, the lack of assertiveness is something that we bring up. I think every time we talk about Justin Shorter, and is this a personality thing? Is this a uh, you know, maybe he's just fed up with this whole, uh, you know, this whole scene. I, I don't know. I'm still talk, trying to talk to people to get an, some insight on this. But, uh, yeah, certainly a surprise given the timing. Um, you know, it's uh, he's got every opportunity to come back next year as a starter. I mean, he started as a redshirt freshman. Not sure what much uh, else you want from that. So, I mean, it's uh, it's an it's an eyebrow raiser. It's going to be something that you know is used against Penn State all across the country. We 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 know when jo- Julian Fleming committed to Ohio State, he talked about the use of Penn State using their five star, obviously alluding to shorter something he heard from the Ohio State staff. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is going to be thrown right back in Penn State's face. It's not a good look, and it's not. Uh, it's certainly not ideal when you're planning out your spring and and into next fall because shorter could be a very big part of this now. He can still stay with the program. He, he just put his name in the portal, which means uh, coaches can reach out. Other people can reach out to, to him, his family, and all that kind of stuff. And we saw that Cam Sullivan Brown and Lamont Wade both were in the portal, ended up coming back to Penn State. 
But uh, man, this is a it's definitely a surprise. So that whatever that conversation was that he had with with James Franklin seemed to hit pretty well on the nose and. And uh, that's uh, we'll, we'll see whether he's a practice tomorrow, I guess. And of course, this is just three days removed from when another former five star in that same 2018 recruiting class running back Ricky Slade was not on the travel roster with Penn State due to a violation of team rules. We know that Ricky has really fallen to the bottom of the pack among scholarship running backs over the course of the season after being the first teamer. But I think at large, we're talking about with Justin Shorter, if he were to exit the program, Sean, you know, you've got Daniel George, a former four star who, who's still on this roster, a redshirt freshman. He has 74 receiving yards on the season. Uh, Matt Kippenhamer, Cam Solomon Brown from the class before, haven't seen those guys gain a lot of momentum during their career. Injuries have played a role uh, in that as well. Uh, but I think, you know, it gets a little scary because you think, well, does KJ Hamler consider leaving for the NFL draft? And now we know Pat Fryermuth could consider leaving for the NFL draft. And, you know, really quickly, it could go from a young emerging uh, skill set, uh, you know, the weapons around whatever quarterback you're featuring to all of a sudden a ton of questions popping up. And I know Shorter has not been productive the way people anticipated, the way I thought he would be. 12 catches, 137 yards this season. He has still not reached the end zone over the course of his college career. But he also has fewer than 20 targets this season as well, Sean. Yeah, it's it's a head-scratcher all around. I mean, this is one that we've talked about several times in terms of what do they need to do? Will they need something in the passing game? Just really didn't look to him all that often. Of course, in the Minnesota game, they tried to sort of make him a go-to guy, and that didn't work out well. And then all of a sudden, Dan Chisena is starting the last couple of games. So uh, something something needs smoothed over there. I'm not sure what it is, but something needs to be uh, taken care of because if you lose, you know, if KJ does go pro, if Fryermuth goes pro, and of course these are just you know speculative uh, uh, responses, but uh, and you lose shorter, I mean, you, you bring in a big class of wide receivers, but you obviously don't want to trot out multiple freshmen or or anybody like that, uh, you know, to to start the season next year, especially when you think that 2020 can be a special one. And we have not seen John Dunmore, TJ Jones uh, utilized. Maybe maybe they get involved against Rutgers in bowl preparation. We'll find out. But uh, there's still a lot of unknown in that wide receiver room with first-year coach uh, Jared Parker there leading the way. Uh, so if, if folks think they have problems here on the Penn State beat uh, with some of the stuff that's popped up in the last couple days and today, check out Rutgers. Uh, it's a team that has lost 20 consecutive conference matchups. Uh, I noted earlier they have lost every Big Ten game this season by at least 27 points. Uh, Chris Ash, their head coach, was fired uh, at, by the end of September, uh, replaced. Uh, since then, they've got one win over Liberty, and, and it's been a bunch of drubbings in conference play. As alluded to, this is a, a team right now at a really tough moment. Uh, there's a battle, I think, between him. And I'll let Brian handle a lot of that. The administrative administration thinks one thing. I think the fan base wants another. And caught in between are these Rutgers players who we've seen very quickly uh, over the course of just the last couple of days, uh, namely quarterback Art Sikowski following through with his intentions to transfer. But uh, players that are uh, important to that program are transferring. There's going to be a mass exodus probably after this game even more so. And you just wonder where the mindset of this team. I, I know there's a you know, maybe a rally point for Rutgers football. I just don't know if they already had it. And I don't know if they can come up with one uh, on the road at Penn state. It just, I I don't know where that team's head is right now. Yeah. Sometimes you look at a team and you think maybe their backs against the wall and they're going to go out and, you know, give a a great effort because they're all bond together. This, this doesn't even seem like that. I mean, you've got uh, guys, you know, basically daily hitting the portal, um, no coaching uh, resolution in sight, obviously, 
everybody in that state's pulling for Greg Schiano to be the guy. And now all of a sudden that's falling apart. So, um, but Don's, Don's got some good things to say about this, um, in terms of the, the, the mindset in New Jersey, but, uh, you know, just you look on the field right now, it's just, you're really not sure where that, where it's going to come from. I mean, they've been shut out a few times this year. You know, they scored 21 points against Ohio state, but that's a, a little bit different came right back and got shut out by Michigan state 27, nothing last week, uh, been shut out by Indiana, shut out by Michigan, shut out by Iowa, shut out by, well, no, no, they did shut out Morgan state, a uh, big win on the schedule this year. So, um, man, it's, uh, it's tough to look at this and be like, what, what, what are we doing here? Like what's, uh, what's the end game for Rutgers football? And right now it just doesn't look great. Way back in 2014, Rutgers first big 10 game. I'm sure fans know it well, uh, against Penn state. Many of you may have been there and it was a matchup that put a scare into Penn state it ended up being 13 to 10. Christian Hackenberg made some key throws late in that contest to get out of Piscataway with a win. You thought, Oh, maybe Rutgers will be more of a test than people anticipated, that proved to be their best season by far in the Big Ten to this point. And since then, Penn State outscoring them 122-16. to I know folks were underwhelmed by the Nittany Lions effort uh, at Rutgers last year, and they were certainly helped by some mistakes of the Scarlet Knights. But the way this one shapes up, uh, we'll get to our predictions, but I, I, the 40-and-a-half point spread... I'm leaning toward toward taking Penn State in that one, and, and it doesn't feel great to say on my end, but it is what it is. I mean, Rutgers is about as bottom of the barrel as they have been in a very long time as a program, but uh, the only difference is now they're getting that Big Ten paycheck to be there. They certainly are, and uh, it's just uh, it's it's crazy to think about, you know. And they weren't, you know, they weren't good or any stretch of the imagination that 2014 team, but they played some teams tough. They got a couple of wins and you know, did what they had to do. But, uh, I mean, you're just, you're so far removed from, you know, when you go from being really good to being, you know, average, it's one thing, but when you go from maybe average to being bottom of the barrel, that's a tough one to fall on. So we, we've seen that happen the last, uh, the last couple of seasons. Chris Ash was obviously not the guy for that job. Not sure who is the guy for that job. Not sure that's a job many people want to undertake right now because it's, uh, you know, it might be a career killer for Chris Ash, and Chris Ash was had a pretty good, pretty decent resume going into it. So we'll see what happens going from there. We're going to get back to our predictions right after this commercial break. We'll be right back. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Haley Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. All right, it's prediction time. We're coming to you one episode this week because of the holiday. Again, we hope you all enjoy your weekend. We'll be back in town. Uh, well, Sean's not leaving town, but I will be back in town uh, in time for kickoff on Saturday. Again, the final uh, one of the year in Beaver Stadium. And again, Rutgers is the opponent. It's a 40 and a half point spread. And as I said, I'm leaning Penn State here. I'm going to predict a shutout. You mentioned a few of them on Rutgers' resume this season. I'm going 45 to nothing, Nittany Lions winning, getting the 10th win, third time in four seasons, they'll get double-digit win total, that was the first time for program uh, since 1993 through 1996, so, you know, a feather in the cap, uh, a season that, uh, entering November, you had loftier ambitions, but get the 10 wins, put yourself in a spot for consideration as the New York New Year's Six Bowl games get sorted out, and uh, yeah, I think you avoid any kind of a potential scare against a Rutgers team that, 
man, it's just uh, it's just sad to see. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I, I, see, I get I see them getting the tenth win. I see them, you know, covering by a little bit. I mean, you don't have the the greatest faith in Penn State's offense right now, but I still think forty nine to seven is where I have them. So I think you can definitely put up points against this defense. Against you know, you can maybe get a turnover as they've been plentiful every time they've played Rutgers the last couple of years. So I like Penn State. Um, I like them by a lot. And if it's not, I mean, that might be an alarming situation. So uh, we'll see what they roll out there with quarterback. But it's one of those games where, you know, no matter who the quarterback is, you still feel good about picking Penn State. We don't know Mark Brennan's prediction. Uh, we're going at going about it a little <laughs> earlier this week. I'm sure he's going to pick Penn State. I'm sure everybody on our list is going to pick Penn State. But uh, I, I will predict Mark Brennan's prediction will be a lot to a little. And, and that'll probably consistently follow the pattern. And by the way, Brian Doan, in case people are, are feeling any trepidation about this game, I think Brian Doan's about to alleviate your fears. Um, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get right into it because Brian, as we said before, was, was about as tuned in with the Shiano situation as anybody. So, Sean, I'll let you take it from here. I'm actually going to put us on the spot and go, since we're since this is Penn State Rutgers week, we're going to go with the rest of the okay. Big Ten. I want to see what you have to say about these other big games. Ohio State, Michigan, who you got? Ohio State. I think it's going to be close, though. I think you're right. I think Michigan is a pretty darn good team. They got a lot going for it at home. I just think Michigan makes too many plays. How about on the other side, Wisconsin, Minnesota? You know, give me the Gophers, and and then they get a chance to to go on that big stage in the Big Ten championship game, and and that's a three loss Wisconsin team. All I like Wisconsin in this game by a little bit, and that's going to help Penn State in the bowl uh, bowl pairings. But right now, we're going to get to Brian Doan, uh, who's gracious enough to join us about recruiting and about Rutgers. So, um, Tyler, for you, you're going to sign out now. Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, I hope you enjoy the the Doan segment. It's my gift to you. Oh, thank you so much. And, and folks, I, I know no one believed me. There was a time when Rutgers was a top 10 program in a faraway land. And without further ado, here is Brian Doan. We now go to the phone line for 24-7 Sports, Brian Doan. Doan, of course, is a regular contributor to the podcast and the site at Lions 24-7. He also went to Rutgers. It's Rutgers week, so we're happy to have him on. We're going to talk recruiting first. First off, 24-7 sports rankings. Saw a little bit of a change this week. A couple of uh, bumps for Penn State commits. A guy that we've talked about a lot, Curtis Jacobs, just outside the five-star range. I believe number 33 nationally by 24-7 sports. And Zariah Fisher making the big leap. We had talked about this one in the past. I'm not sure we saw uh, him going this high. Uh, number 100, and he's in the 160s right now. But what what have you seen from those guys specifically in their senior year? We know they've elevated themselves, but what have you seen from those two uh, in particular? Yeah, I think we'll start with Curtis Jacobs. Um, and Fitz, we've talked about it before when he was like what seems to be like a 180-pound receiver down at Under Armour camp one year. But with him, it's just been the steady growth. And he, he got big enough to where now he can play. When he gets to college, he can play right away. It's not going to be getting the you know, weight room and all that stuff. Physically, he's ready. How quick can, will he pick up things? That's what it will be about. Bright kid, so there's really no concerns there he's able to pick up the defense well and, and quickly but it's just his ability to be physical to play downhill he's done a better job of getting off blocks um i think it's just to me this is what i'd like to see out of a kid progressing through the rankings where it's not all of a sudden he goes from unranked to a top 50 kid you can see the climb steady and you can see him getting better in different pieces of his game I thought he was better in space. He still has to, you know, work on some coverage stuff and some depth drops and all that stuff. But, you know, it, it's just you can really see it all come together 
And then you, you put in on what Penn State linebackers do, and you, you figure he's going to be a highly productive kid there. I mean, you've known him for a long time. He's a great kid, high-character kid. So all those things go in. And, but when, when you look at him on the field, it's just a matter of each part of his game took, you know, got a little bit better. And so you, you see the jump. Um, and then with Zariah Fisher, you and I had spoken a lot about him. We really liked his upside. We were just curious on whether that upside was going to be as a defensive end or an outside linebacker. I think his body type will allow for either one. But two things that he did during his senior year, which he started to do obviously in the offseason with the training, was he got a lot stronger, added weight, so he was able to handle stuff close to the line of scrimmage and in the box and be physical. And he increased his explosion. And, and a lot of that comes, look, it's already a lot of natural ability, but the work in the weight room and some technique and, and being able just to sink his hips a little bit more when he explodes and he just is more athletic now than he was when he was a, a junior. And he's a kid that I had put in a few times just to make sure that they watched and watched and watched. And then, you know, finally the, the rankings committee decided that he was a, a four-star prospect, which to me, you know, to, to put him, you know, between the 150 and the 175 mark, I don't have a problem with it from the standpoint of our projections are based on NFL potential. And if he winds up playing on the defensive line, it is a need in the NFL. So those guys get drafted higher. And then he also could bring that, you know, depending if he stays the size, his versatility on whether he plays linebacker or D end. He can be, you know, a three, four guy or a four, three guy, which I think has a lot of value. Yeah. Uh, a slight bump that probably went unnoticed. Nick Dawkins went up a little bit. You liked him as a senior. I mean, we talked about him last summer as a guy, you weren't really sure if he was done growing. You weren't sure where he would fit in eventually on the offensive line. Still looks like a guard, but uh, had a really good senior year. Yeah, he does look like a guard. And he just sent me his, his tape the other day and I watched it and he's a good kid. He's a smart kid. He's athletic and he wants to constantly get better. And again, you see it. I, I think again, you, you see more of his athleticism showing through. More of his more of his comfort in in using his strength and being more powerful in the upper body. And I just really like his athleticism and his frame and the length that goes with it. And I think you know, at least for me, moving forward, when I'm looking at offensive linemen, I'm going to start looking more at you know just their length and the athleticism, and I don't want them to be 340 pounds, and I, I want them to, to have better weight than that. So for me, that's one of the things I'm looking at, one of the things I see with, with Dawkins. For transparency's sake, we also dropped Jaden Dotton from a 94-star to an 88-3-star, so not a big drop, but there were some things on film this year. You know, you weren't sure if he would take the next step. Uh, whether he did that or not is probably debatable. But what have you seen from Jaden Dotton as a senior? Uh, just uh, down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and to be honest with Jaden Dotton, I, I contemplated dropping him after I saw him at the opening regional in New Jersey in the spring. Um, I was concerned about his strength, how long it's going to take him to put on size. Uh, he did not catch the ball as, as seamlessly as I wanted him to, to catch it or that I thought he should. But the feeling was, okay, let's 
see what he does during his year. Because I, I really, really do not like dropping kids, especially when it means dropping a star. It, it's, it's something that, you know, people are like, oh, you dropped this and, and what, I mean, and, and this is how I look at it. This kid's going to go to school and, and some people are going to pay attention and ask him why he's now a three-star instead of a four-star. And so I really, you know, don't like to do that. And that's why I'm so conservative a lot of times with early rankings. But when I watched him on tape his senior year, um, it was a lot of the same. I think he does a lot of things well. I don't know what he does outstanding at this point. And obviously all that can change and, you know, get him in the weight room and hopefully, you know, he proves us wrong and that that he is a four or five star because that's what you want for all these kids. But I think it's just that. But I think the other thing for people to remember is if you're an 88 it doesn't mean like all of a sudden you're some bench scrub. I mean, you're still a really good player. And I think people need to, to really keep that in mind when they see stuff drop like that. It's easier said than done, uh, definitely in that <laughs> regard. Uh, 2020, uh, not much on the table left there. You know, Theo Johnson's out there. Sean Martin is a guy that you recently put in a crystal ball pick to West Virginia. A lot of buzz for the Mountaineers right there. But uh, moving on to 2021, uh, you know, this is kind of the the transition period. And you and I talked about this a week ago is not a ton happening right now. You're kind of waiting for that December, January period where coaches start coming in. They just start throwing offers out like crazy. So a lot of guys are, are going to wait around and build up that offer list. So where we're at in the cycle right now, what have you seen from Penn State uh, as they sort of build up for that late January, February run that we typically see them go on? Well, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be contingent on who gets to campus, when they can get them to campus. Um, just stuff like that, you know, who shows up for, what is it, that, that one in late January that they do right before signing day where, where I think you're probably going to a QPR match that weekend, I would guess. Um, but I, I think you're just trying to lay the groundwork for kids to come up to campus and, and make sure you know who you want to identify. Because when you're Penn State, you can really start getting those commitments early. And, you know, the one I look at, I just saw play the other day, is is what happens with Landon Tangwell because I know what he said. You know, I'm I'm sure everybody out there read the story several times to help me with those link clicks and everything. But you know, Michigan, Penn State, Notre Dame, and I left it feeling that it was Penn State, Notre Dame, and, but he left a, he left an opening for what he wants moving forward and there's a lot of things that's important to him including you know not only the football but the education alumni stuff campus you know where you live on campus what that atmosphere is like so he's going to go to these schools with a lot of questions and I know right now I still think he goes to Penn State because of the location but for me I want to see um how he comes out of those visits and what he talks about coming out of those visits. I think that's important. And then, and then the other one is, uh, you know, Dante Thornton down there, the, the former Penn state commit who usually I do not put much credence in somebody decommitting and then going back to that school. And I know everybody's going to say, well, Michael Parsons did it, but that, that is so far the outlier. But in talking to him and, and some of the folks in his inner circle, I think Penn state, Still has a really good chance to get him and they need to continue to get him on campus and show what they can do offensively and with the receivers. The issue is they're going to have to wait a long time, I think, for this one. I think he's going to go through 
the process for a while still. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I guess we kind of check in with you more of a national pulse on things uh, periodically, but where's Penn State right now? I mean, they're going to finish with a 10-win season. Uh, they should finish with a 10-win season. Um, and and I, I had to get that, that one in. Good ball game, um, right? It's, yeah, so um, they should finish with a 10-win season. How much different is that than a year ago when you know they're struggling to get to nine wins and, of course, they, they fall to Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl? Where is the perception at right now? How much more buzz do they have than this time last year? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, and, and it really puts things in perspective in a good way because Penn State is, like, right there now. When, you know, it used to be you talk to kids and, and they weren't talking much about championships and, and stuff like that. But what they did at Ohio State, and look, I don't think anybody at Penn State's in the moral victories and boy, we kept it close, so we're happy. I don't think that's who Penn State is and I don't think that's who they want to be. But when you go talk to the recruits and you say, look, man, it's 21-17. We came back. We're tough. Maybe we didn't have this or this happen. And we're literally a play away. And now these kids can really start seeing it. Um, and they've had a great season. I mean, you know, they, they ran into a buzz on Minnesota and also played just a horrific game in the red zone against Minnesota that cost them there. But for me, I feel like they're really close to taking that next step that, you know, everybody um, – on lines 247 wants, hey, can we get that top five class? Can we get the top 10? Whatever. I, I feel like for the amount of time I've been doing this, this is the, the 2021 class is the closest they've been to getting there to where you really see it and be like, man, I, I can see that next step being taken. And I give a ton of credit to James Franklin and his staff because no matter who I talk to in the region, they say that staff is the best at recruiting, they build the best relationships, and when the kids go to campus, every kid, it doesn't matter if the kid doesn't have an offer, if they're, if it's a, you know, unless it's a game where you don't have a chance to talk to them, they all talk to the coaches and feel like they're part of the program already, and I feel like they are right there getting ready to make that next step in recruiting. So that, that's, a, that's a great question. 2021. I mean, is it fair to say quarterback offensive line and then sort of go from there? I mean, because offensive line, they're obviously, you know, they got uh, Nate Bruce on board, but you've got Landon Tangwall, who you mentioned, Nolan Rucci's there, Wyatt Millam's there, Tristan Lee's there. It's so just a lot to pick from in your area. And then quarterback, you know, you're not sure which direction it's going to go. They're still in the mix with Kayla Williams. Christian Veyu looks like the probably the most uh, logical candidate from from a regional standpoint. I mean, is it fair to, to, to start judging this class on what they do in those two spots? Yeah, I think they need that next quarterback that makes you feel like, wow, who can really start um, holding the mantle for that class and really go out and recruiting and be the leader of it. Uh, and then the offensive line, you you know what Penn State is on defense. You know, I love their front seven. They do a great job in the secondary. But, yeah, the offensive line, I think that's the one spot you look at and you say, where where is the elite kid, right? And and obviously Walker, I think, you know, on the Penn State offensive line now is that kid in the Ghana. But, but they need to get more of those, I feel like. So – and then you look at what's in the region with the kids that you just mentioned and they get them all to campus, you know, and they've been to campus and they're in the thick of it for these kids. Um, yeah, I, I think you're going to judge it on that because, you know, Penn State's got enough talent at the other places. 
Stone, I see a change in your Twitter profile. Apparently, you're a Middlesex County uh, County Community College alum now. I thought there was another school that you went to. I'm a Blue Colt, baby, through and through. You know, we're, we got a big game against Union County Community College. Then I think we got Cumberland County College on the hardwood. So, you know, Blue Colts all the way. Your next stop after that is uh, they've been an embarrassment. I went to the store after that. I did go to the <laughs> Uh, uh, Rutgers is a school that you're obviously very tied to. You've been out in front of a lot of this coaching stuff. It is Rutgers week. We're not really going to talk much about the on-field product, but what's going on at Rutgers? And I guess how does that impact Penn State? Because you bring in a guy like Greg Schiano, and obviously that's going to turn some heads. You see how much support he has in New Jersey, and that's going to be a head-to-head battle that you have to win. Now all of a sudden you go elsewhere. I mean, what what are you what are you hearing from that aspect, and how much is that just going to just – I guess screw Rutgers in the long haul. <laughs> uh, you are being way too kind. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with it. And the first thing I look at is if you would have brought in Greg Schiano, is he going to out recruit Penn State? On the whole, no, not at Rutgers, not not right now. I mean, I don't know how long it would take. But you know, there were guys. Whether it was Chris Muller when he was there, there, there were guys here and there that that you know. They would have to, even Angelo Mangiro, it was down to just a couple schools. It was Rutgers, Penn State. And, and it was, I mean, he went to Penn State, but it was nip and tuck for that. But, I mean, now, I mean, I think the school keeping an eye on who Rutgers is going to hire is more like Penn State Scranton or Penn State Harrisburg. Because I think, you know, they have shown through this, they will not make the commitment to be a mid-level Big Ten team, that they want the benefits of the academic side of getting the TV money, and you got an athletic director who is a basketball guy. I mean, he came from Seton Hall. Um, he's heavily tied in the political ranks in New Jersey. That's how he wound up getting the job at Rutgers anyway, who has just mismanaged things for the last year. I mean, and just... You, it's been mismanaged so poorly that um, you couldn't even imagine it. Being, like when you're putting together your worst case scenario, this is beyond that. And so, you know, you have the, the head of the New Jersey High School Coaches Association saying it's a fiasco. Guys in South Jersey, you know, at Violent High where they produce kids and they have two kids on the team and they have another kid that Penn State offered, Tyreen Powell, who's going to Virginia Tech, saying he will not tell his – he will not – allow his kids go to Rutgers and will tell South Jersey kids not to go. So what it means for Penn State is all of a sudden you can just come in there and there's not even the threat of anything. There's not even the threat that you have to battle Rutgers on on guys. Um, it's just absolutely amazing what has gone on. And, I, and I'll say this. I will say this for, for the athletic director, Pat Hobbs. On a whole – a lot of the Rutgers fan base has always been quiet, reserved. He's done an unbelievable job in uniting that fan base and really making them come out in public. Now, he's united them because they all hate him now and they, they can't wait to see him be fired and everything. But, you know, if I'm going to be, I'm a very positive guy, Fitz, you know that. So on a positive note, he has united the Rutgers fan base. The birthplace of 3D chess, Piscataway. It's amazing. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, 
you, you look at a kid like Jalen Berger, and this is a guy that you and I have talked about before, and, and this is a, a high-profile guy. He doesn't have a home yet. You know, He's kind of taking the process slow. Almost seemed like he would he was going to fall into Rutgers' lap, and now all of a sudden, I mean, you got to think that you know he's going to buck the trend of what he's been saying to people around him all this entire time is staying local, and now Wisconsin's in the mix, UCLA's in the mix, somebody else in the mix, and now you're talking about losing a guy like Berger, not only just one kid, but you know, it, it, say there's a change at Boston College, and all of a sudden the parochial schools are siding with Boston College over Rutgers. I mean, how much? It's just a train wreck. I mean. <laughs> You know, could you imagine if Shiano, if something happens at BC and Shiano winds up as a, as a Boston College coach? I mean, my goodness. I mean, Rutgers would then just join the same league as William Patterson, College of New Jersey, Rowan, you know. But, you know, it's funny. You say the, the fall into the lap, and maybe it's the time of the season, and I'm in such a jovial Christmas mood. But here's Jalen Berger, who's going to fall in the lap of Rutgers. I, I just, you know, imagine you take your kids to see Santa. Your kid's about to sit in Santa's lap, and he's all happy, and it's going to be a great time. And right when he goes to sit down, Santa gets up and walks away, and your kid falls over and cracks his head open because, you know, that's what they, they just pulled the rug out from everybody, including kids in the program. I mean, kids are hitting the transfer portal. If you're a Rutgers player right now, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, oh, boy, I can't wait to go to Penn State where, you know, I'm guessing they'll have a, a 90000 there. I can't imagine – you know, on Black Friday weekend, people being like, hey, I can't wait to go watch Penn State beat Rutgers. Well, we can go watch the first half and then when it's 48 nothing, leave and still get our shopping in. But, like, when those kids from Rutgers go onto that field on Saturday, what are they thinking? They're going to see Penn State, which to me, you know, and I, and I said this on a Rutgers podcast, to me, Penn State is what you need as a university and as a football program to have success. Because when you look at where they were during the sanctions with Sandusky and everybody was, oh, they're going to be dead for 20 years and blah, blah, blah. And I never bought in. I said, let's just wait and see. How did they get out of it? The university aligned itself from, you know, the presence of athletic director down to football and they all banded together and said, okay, how do we make this better? How do we make it work? And everybody united. And here we are, how many years later, they've already won run, one Big Ten championship. They're perennially in the conversation for, you know, being right at the precipice of the college football playoff. And so now these kids from Rutgers are going to walk into that environment, having just been shown by the administration that they don't care financially. And Fitz, you know this. Because you cover recruiting and people are like, well, you went to this school, you went to that school. Look, I know more kids probably at Penn State than I do at Rutgers. But what happens in this job is you start thinking about the kid instead of the player. And so you don't want to you never want to see kids like you hate when, when a team loses, and you're watching a close game. If it's one of the kids you cover, you're like, oh, I feel so bad for that kid. He was such a great kid. So that's what you look, at least for me, that's what I look at through this stuff. Not really the school that they're in, but the situation that that kid is in now. Yeah, and some of those guys uh, passed up on bigger opportunities. I think, what, Raheem Blackshear, now he's going to be in the many, but <laughs> Not many, but, I mean, Blackshear will flip from, I think, Michigan State. He, he was committed to a couple schools. Uh, Bo Melton had a bunch of offers. I mean, you just, uh, Artur Sikowski was the, the savior, even though, you know, he obviously wasn't, but still, I mean. Look, you gotta, look. Aaron Young, the kid from Coatesville. Yeah. 
yeah i mean it's uh both both young brothers um so yeah i mean it's uh it's crazy to think about, especially, I mean, you, it, it's it's doing a disservice to not only those kids, but, you know, the, the assistant coaches that have been there just, you know, trying to keep something up right and now just being flattened by, hey, we're not going to put any money. And, and the funny thing is, as the reports keep coming out and, and Rutgers just keeps trying to smear Greg Schiano and he wants all this and wants all that, all the stuff he's lining up is is on par with, what, Illinois? I mean, you're, you're talking about getting him... Uh, getting into the Big Ten to be competitive with the middle of the Big Ten, he's not asking for the same thing that that Ryan Day or James Franklin are, is asking for. So just to get them there, they're not even willing to 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 commit to that. I just it, it, it's it's ridiculous to think about, and it's such a disservice to those players. Well, you know, the AD is so overmatched with so many things, including what he says publicly. This is a guy that said he, he wants to go to the Rose Bowl. And so the guy who covers Rutgers for Bobby Darren, I did a podcast with him, started calling him Rose Bowl Pat. And so um, he wants to go to the Rose Bowl. And he wants to spend the money it takes to go to the Popeye's Bowl. And that's the pre-chicken sandwich Popeye's. And so... <laughs> You're you're looking at that saying, hey, by the way, go, you know, it it would be like telling James Franklin, hey, James, we want you to go compete with LSU, Alabama and Ohio State. Um, Here's about half of the resources they have. And don't worry, you'll only have to fly commercially half of the time as a head coach. Yeah, it seems like there's a big step in between where Rutgers is at right now and the Rose Bowl. Just a, you know, just well, a, a speed bump, if you will. Yeah, the step is just, you know, from dreamland to reality. So it can't be that far of a step. Well, I hope that uh, vetting session or venting session really got you feeling better about this weekend. We're going to let you go, but we always appreciate uh, your insight. I know you're he's very plugged in. I don't think people understand how plugged in he is to this situation. And it's. It's remarkable just to see the, 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 the I guess, repetitive, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, just the, the repetitive incompetence from, from that side. But you're, you're informative. You're, you're very nice to us on Lions 24-7. Doan, thanks for coming on and, and talking with us. It's been, it's been an, an enlightening uh, 20 minutes or whatever. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. And also, I still think Penn State Scranton would be a pick against Rutgers right now. All right. Thanks, Tone. We'll catch you next time. So that'll do it for us. Great stuff from Doan there. Great stuff earlier in the episode from Tyler. I'm Sean Fitz. By the way, Penn State 10th in the college football playoff rankings. Kind of a big ranking because uh, leaves them in front of Florida, which is probably their main uh, speed bump in getting to a New Year's Six game because there's so few at-large bids available. Uh, Rose still an option, of course, depending on how the Big Ten plays out. Cotton and Orange now look you know, much better for Penn State, uh, whereas you were looking at the Outback, you know, if they dropped significantly, still watching that Michigan game, still watching a, a couple of, of, of programs in front of them, uh, such as Minnesota. 
But uh, yeah, it's a good, good, as good of a spot as you could you could assume Penn State could be in. It looks like the college football playoff committee really likes Penn State. Couple quality losses in there. I know a lot of people are down on the team right now, but that's uh, yeah, a good spot to be in coming off of that uh, that Ohio State game. So Penn State tenth in the college football playoff rankings, and you know really in a good spot to to you know be that at large team in the New Year's Six. So. Uh, we'll get to that uh, at another time. We're going to get to the post-game show after the Rutgers game, so you can join us then. But now we're going to get to Thanksgiving. Hope everybody listening has a great, safe, and happy Thanksgiving. If you're traveling to the game this weekend, uh, be safe as well. But thanks for listening. I'm Sean Fitz for Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast.